And so if you're looking in Nehemiah chapter 11, we're going to go through that and the first part of chapter 12. And what you're going to look at is that this is God's plan for His people, and it's, it's really unimpressive. It's not a very impressive plan, uh, what He's going to be doing here. And so if you remember the context is that the people have come back to Israel and the walls have been uh, rebuilt, the temple has been rebuilt, and the people were being reformed. And so then the, the Lord is about to kind of let them go and so he, he puts this plan together to keep things moving in the future. And it's, it's I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not real impressed, right? Um, in, in our culture, we've got it. You have to have a plan to, to, to move things forward, right? And so please know the difference between a plan and an idea, right? Um, a lot of people have ideas, but, but a lot of people don't put together plans. Um, and in our culture, you really need to have like a, like if, if I want to open a business or something, I've got to have a what? A business plan, right? I am consistently shocked at how I, like I'll look around and I'll see how many like new businesses open up and I'm like, that, I'll give it six months. You know what I mean? Like I look and I'm like, how did they get approved for a business loan? Like some of these businesses that open up, I'm like, there's no way that place is going to last. And I guarantee they don't have a business plan because they didn't do their market research. Because, you know, it's like, hey, let's open up another uh, hamburger joint in Tyler, Texas. You, you know what we need is another hamburger joint. Have you all noticed this? And how when one opens up, uh, you give it, honestly, it'll, it'll be gone in six months. Why is that? Because they don't have a plan. They didn't do market research. And they don't realize that our, our market is so oversaturated with hamburger joints. Or if I came to you and was like, hey, I've got a plan for another business. What do you want to do? I want to open a Mexican food place, <laughs> right? You would laugh in my face. Why? Because we're so oversaturated. I don't have a plan. And, and if you said, what's your plan? Well, we want to make good Mexican food and make a lot of money. Is that a plan? No, that is a very unimpressive plan, right? I don't even call it a plan. And so God, at the end of uh, this Ezra and Nehemiah, he's putting his plan together and I'm going to be honest with you. If he had to sell me this plan, I wouldn't buy it. You know what I mean? If I was on Shark Tank, if I was sitting next to Cuban, and, uh, which they asked me to come in, I declined. I'm super busy. I can't. But if I was on Shark Tank and the doors open, dun, 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 and if God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit walked in and they said, hey, we're the Holy Trinity, and today we're going to sell you Nehemiah's final plan. And, and they said, we're trying to sell it for $100,000 for 51% stake, blah, 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 whatever. If they laid out this plan, I wouldn't buy it. I really wouldn't. Because I'd look at it and I'd say, okay, how are you going to accomplish this? And the, the way through which he's going to accomplish his plan, I am not impressed. I am not sold on it. But what we're going to see is that's the way God works. I hope you recognize that. Is that the Lord, he works in ways that we look and we say, there is no way this is going to work out. And he says, okay, that's, that's usually how my plans work, right? Um, and so look at Nehemiah chapter um, 11. If you remember, chapter 10, was, it's, chapter 10 is entitled The Agreement of the People. And the people agreed, hey, we're going to, uh, let's summarize chapter 10. Look at the last verse in chapter 10. It just says this. It's the people uh, speaking and they said, we will not neglect the house of God. And what we did last week is we looked at Malachi, which shows you what happened. And did they keep their end of the deal? 
Not at all. They neglected the house of God and they were bringing God's sacrifices. But Malachi even says like, you guys are bringing like blind goats and like sheep with three legs to sacrifice to God. And you're bringing the Lord your leftovers. And, and the Lord says that I'm not going to bless that. The Lord does not bless our leftovers. And so they said, we're not going to neglect the house of God. And they do anyways. And, and, but that, that was last week. So verse chapter 11, look at this. My chapter title says, The New Residence of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and so remember what has happened is they have come and they have rebuilt the city walls and they've rebuilt the temple and now they have to have people to move in to the city. Okay? And so uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of this. I'm not going to read every single word um, because I'll let you do that later on because it's a long list of something you'll see. Uh, verse, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. And so that's kind of the summary right there. The people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. And then look at verse 3. It says, these are the provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. And then if you just scan verse 3, verse 4, verse 7, verse 10, are you starting to see it gives you the list of the families and it gives you this list of names? You see that? And it just tells you this person, this person, this person. Verse 20 says, The rest of the Israelites with the priests and the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, each on his ancestral property. And then it lists more people, more people, more people. I'm looking at verse 25. As for the villages with their fields, verse 31, the descendants of the Benjamites. Um, even verse 36, some of the divisions of the Levites of Judah settled in Benjamin. Uh, chapter 12, it goes on. He says, these were the priests and the Levites who returned with Zerubbabel. And so, and so it goes back. He's reminding them these are the people. And you see it has these lists of names. Name after name after name after name after name. Uh, chapter 12, verse 22, the family heads. Uh, 20, verse 25, verse 26, they served in the days of Jehoiakim. Okay, and so when you look at chapter 11 and chapter 12, it's name after name after name after name. And so, so please don't miss this. Is, here's God's final plan, His final stamp to get this thing moving forward, to keep Israel in the land and to keep the temple operating. And He says, this is my plan. I'm going to use people. Okay. Now, why is that interesting? Because do you remember the last verse we read in chapter 10? The people said, hey, we commit. We're going to take care of the temple. And what'd they do? They failed. Okay? So when you think of these people, don't think of like the super sharp, super smart, overly devoted. These are regular, normal people that when they make a promise to God, they don't keep it. Please don't miss that. That when they, when they make a promise to God, they cannot keep it. And God sees these people and He says, that's how I'm going to fulfill my plan. He looks at these broken people who have a shattered history, who, who have uh, questionable integrity, 
He, he looks at these broken people who are not impressive, who are not a, a vast amount, and he says, that is how I'm going to accomplish what I want to accomplish. Do you see how this is not a really great idea from the world standards? Are you all following me on this? You know, it's like he's, it, it's the same thing as like if you've ever imagined working with someone who consistently shows up late, who takes two-hour lunches, who, who disappears early, who, who you catch him sleeping on the job. Like imagine an, a fellow employee that, that he over time just constantly shows that he is inept. He's unable to finish what he starts. He has very little uh, integrity, very little discernment. And then I want you to imagine that your boss brings you in, and this guy had been fired earlier. I want you to imagine that your boss brings you in and says, hey, I've got a solution to our uh, to our low employment problem. And, and you say, what is it? I'm ready. And, he, and in walks Larry, right? And it's the guy who consistently failed over and over and over. What do you do? You go, are you for real? Like this guy, this is it. And, and this is what's so frustrating and what's so mind-boggling in the way that the Lord works is that He gives us chance after chance after chance after chance. And we fail Him over and over and over and over. And my love for Him is conditional and it's based on how I'm feeling. And He consistently says, hey, that's the man for the job. Like He picks these. Like think about the apostles. Have you ever thought about the apostles? They were so unimpressive. They, they were, like one was a tax collector that everybody hated the guy. Several of them were fishermen, which means they weren't educated. It means they were not smart enough to go on to become a rabbi. It's not they didn't choose to. It's these guys that were like the lowest of the low, the bottom of the rung. And, and God says, you know, this is years later with the apostles. The, the Lord says, I've got to pick some men to, to be the foundation of the church for which I'm going to build for the next thousand years. And he looks and he says, hey, you over there, fixing that net. You're my guy. Peter, come with me. Right? This is what he does. This is so unimpressive. So flip over to Ephesians chapter uh, 3. Because I want you to, to show you that God's plan has not changed. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 3. Actually start in chapter 1. So the book of Ephesians is a circular letter. It's written by Paul. It was meant to be passed around to a bunch of different churches around this area at this time. And the book of Ephesians is about the church. Okay? And so Paul wrote this about the church. And the reason I want to point this out is that is God's plan has not changed. When he sets out these incredible things, he's going to do it through normal, everyday people. Even though our culture says he only does it through super Christians. Okay? Even though our culture says he only does it through really attractive, well-spoken pastors or stuff like that. I, I hope you realize that's a bunch of baloney. So Ephesians chapter 1 um, look at, just start in, verse, uh, start in verse 15. I want to read a little bit because I want you to really see this. Verse 15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him 
better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's a great phrase. In order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Okay, so pause there. Um, just real basic theology one-on-one. Where is Jesus right now? Where is He? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay. When I talk about where's Jesus, I, I don't mean some spiritual, you know, people say He's in my heart or um, you know, all that. No, I, I mean physically, literally, there is a physical person, an actual man, like that you, can, you could look at his hands and see scars on his hands, and you could look at his side and see a scar where a, a spear pierced his side. There's a physical man seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavens right now, okay? Uh, verse 21, he says, "...far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given." not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet, and He appointed Him to be the head over everything for the... What's the word right there? What's the word? Church. For the church. Verse 23 which is His body. The fullness of Him who, look at this, fills everything in every way. So God has incredible plans for the world today. Right? Um, God wants to save man. He wants to uh, bring families back together. Um, God wants to feed the homeless. He wants to shelter the homeless. He wants to take care of orphans. He wants to educate children. Um, he, he wants to feed the poor. God's plan, hey, how does the poor get fed? Through what? Through His church. So I'm, I'm not um, political. God's plan is not that the government take care of people. Please hear me say that. That's not His plan. And when the government starts to do that, it is acting outside of God's plan. Okay? God's plan is not that there's a governing system that takes care of orphans. What's His plan? Who does that? The church. Right? Uh, God's plan is that when someone is hungry, who feeds them? The church. It's not the government's God-given plan to do that. Now, our government is not godly. America is not a Christian nation. Sorry to burst your bubble. Get rid of the t-shirt, okay? I know that the nation that is the Lord's, do you want to know who that is? Israel. It is not the United States of America. This is not a Christian nation. This is a religious nation, okay? Do not let the facade of uh, false Christianity through a government try to replace the church, because if you pay attention, guys, that's what's happening. If you pay attention, okay, is that we're trying to put these things in place to make the church unnecessary. And, and the Lord says, everything I'm going to do on earth, I'm going to do it through what? 
through my people. Which, by the way, I'm not impressed. <laughs> right? Look at our track record. Let's be honest. Look at the track record of the church. Do we have a real great reputation? No, right? That's okay. Are there some crazies that mess everything up? Sure, there's radicals, obviously, right? But if I think of like, man, God wants to feed the homeless and God wants to, to save people and He wants to get His message out. And how does He want to do it? Through you guys. He wants to do it through us. He wants to do it through this ragtag group of people that He selects that He says, oh yeah, they've, they've failed me over and over and over again. Guys, this is not an impressive plan if you look at it from the surface. You know, but the Lord says that's exactly how I'm going to do it. Um, keep going in Ephesians. Look at uh, he talks more about it. I love this. Uh, look at chapter three right here. Chapter three, verse two. <clears throat> he says, "Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery. I'm going to explain this. The mystery made known to me." by revelation. So who's me? Real quick, who's me? Who? Paul. It's not Jesus. Jesus didn't write this. Uh, by the way, who's you? It's not you. Who is it? It's the, yeah, the, 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 these churches that he's writing to. So anyways, he says, that is the mystery known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. So what he's saying there is this idea of the church is distinct from Israel, okay? What he's saying is this mystery of the church, which the church is just any normal person who has died to themselves and is now alive in Christ. What he's saying is if you read in the Old Testament, do you want to know how many times the church is mentioned? Zero. That's correct. It's zero. It's not in there. So when Paul talks about the mystery of the church, why is it a mystery? Because for thousands of years, people had no idea that this thing was coming. For thousands of years, it was all about Israel. And it was all about Israel. These are the people. Their, their history. Look at their history. Look at their land. Look at God has chosen them. right? And he says, no, this thing's coming that's called the church. Uh, verse 5, he says, "...which was not made known to men in other generations, that it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets." This mystery is that through the Gospel, the, what's the word right there? Gentiles. So this is the church. This is not Israel. Does it say Americans, by the way? <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to poke fun at that. Y'all look mad. This mystery is that through the Gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. you got to love verse 8. He says, although I am less than the least of all God's people. Man, you want to talk about walking in humility. This is Paul talking, right? Uh, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. That's the church. 
which was kept, uh, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Verse 10, this is the whole point of why I brought, brought us to chapter 3. His intent, so, so this is the whole purpose. His intention was that now, look at these words, through the what? Through the, through the what? Hold on. Hey, look at me. Guys, this plan sucks. Are y'all with me? Are you kidding me? Like you, you have Israel here. Like you have the people of God that for thousands of years we know that God is with these people. Like the, he's, he is constantly shown to be with them. He's constantly shown to be faithful. And out of nowhere, God says, here's my plan is I'm going to do everything on earth. You know how I'm going to do it? Through the church. Through my normal, everyday people. And then he says, uh, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And so uh, this is what I want to point out, guys, is that remember God's plan is he wants to work in and through you. Okay, And one of the things that's being taught in our culture, please pay attention, is the church is trying to be replaced. Uh, The church is trying to be changed into something it's not. The church is, is slowly transforming um, from a thing that we all come together and contribute, and it's slowly becoming a thing that you want, you come and you observe, right? Is that if you go, if you go visit a lot of churches, what is expected of you? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, let's get real for a second. In most churches... What is the difference between a long-term visitor and someone who is a member of that church? In, in a lot of churches, what's the difference? That's the answer. Nothing. Right? In, in mo- and I would say most, I really would argue most, is that when someone says, hey, I want to be a part of this body, I feel that the Lord calls me here, the expectation that's placed on them is nothing. Nothing. That's right. Nothing. That's right. She's paying attention, right? Um, and here's the problem is that that's not a problem. Do you see that? The problem is that we are happy with that. The problem is that the expectation is if I can get you to just come through those doors and if I can get you to just, to just sit there, then that's great, right? We, we have turned God's unbelievable plan to change the world through people, and we have turned it into, hey, just physically come in this building and just watch someone talk at you for 45 minutes. And, and do you see how that's a problem? And do you see how it's a problem that that's not a problem? Do you, do you see how even now in the past two years we have this thing called online church? Do you see the problem? And do you see how it's a problem that that's not a problem? That it is becoming more and more readily available it's becoming more and more accepted like this thing that a church is just something i can tune into and i am outside of it watching it and we're treating the church like we would the same way we watch netflix that we fold laundry while we're observing it that we do our our taxes while we're watching church 
And it is not God's plan. And guys, please hear me. I'm not trying to be mean. And you wonder why we're ineffective? You want to know why for, for years the church has had a bad name? It's because we have bowed down to this. We just show up. We observe. We, by the way, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 10. We give the bare minimum of ourselves. We give God the leftovers. We do not give Him our first fruits. We give Him the leftovers of our lives. And we say, I'm giving you, um, it's 11, right now it's 11.13. McLennan, you got eight more minutes. You better wrap this thing up, right? And we, and we say, here, Lord, I'll give you everything as long as it fits within this box. And we wonder why the church has such a bad rap and why we're so ineffective. And then we're constantly preached this idea that like, hey, uh, you guys just sit down and shut up and listen to me. Just sit. You have nothing to say. You have nothing to contribute. We don't need to hear from you. You know, your job is just to show up. It's about the bees. Buildings, butts, and budgets, right? We want to build a building. We want to get butts in the chairs, and we want to make sure that we stay ahead of our budget. And uh, none of those are biblical, by the way. So let me ask this question. Hey, do you think the church is under attack? Some of y'all didn't even answer. Do you, do you, no, let me say this. Do you know that the church is under attack? If you don't know that, you need to wake up. If you don't know that, you need to get your head out of the clouds. And my six-year-old is in here, and so I said clouds instead of something else. If you honestly are floating through life, and you don't recognize that we are under attack, you need to wake up, right? If, if you don't see that the church is being replaced by different government programs, if you don't see that we're being preached, to, hey, just sit down and shut up and just listen, right? If, if you don't see that in our culture, when there's a thing called church shopping. Do you recognize how offensive that is, by the way? Church shopping, like I'm buying a new pair of pants, right? And that we, that we treat this church like, like just friends with benefits, that, that we're not committed to her. We show up when we want. You know, we're, we're not actually committed to anything. We're just, what do I get out of it? I hope this upsets you guys as much as it does me. And you may be like, Russell, calm down. No, you need to calm up. You need to get riled up about this, that the bride of Christ is being mistreated day in and day out. And in our religious culture, we sit there and massage that and applaud it. And, and we ask questions like, what does your church provide? What do you do for me? When we go church shopping, it's all about what do you do for me? And oh, how offensive to the bride of Christ. Like, did you know Jesus died for her? Like, he gave his life for her, and we treat her like she's just the leftover um, well, you know, like she's the leftover everything. And so, guys, please don't believe that message that it's just, I'll just sit here and say, please don't believe that what you say doesn't matter, you know? Like, those, when you think about people and when someone comes into your mind, say you haven't seen someone in a while, or, or, or there's, this, there's this small voice that's saying, hey, reach out to this person. You understand that small voice is not a small voice. That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you, right? And, and look, look at verse 30. Of, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 30 of Ephesians. Look right here. Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
What that means to don't grieve that is when you, when you receive that small voice of God speaking to you, to grieve the Holy Spirit is to say, eh, I don't need to do that, right? If we're honest, how many of us talk ourselves out of calling someone? Raise your hands. Let me see them. Yeah. Why? Because I'm busy. I don't want to bug them, right? And we think it's not a big deal. But man, God's plan is being, is, is being pushed through in a very unimpressive people through very unimpressive phone calls, through very unimpressive text messages, right? It's these phone calls. It's these reaching out to say, man, I'm just thinking about you. I just want you to know that I just love you. And I'll, I, I, I just, that's it, man. I was just thinking about you. Is that impressive at all? No. But can that, can that mean the world to someone? Yeah, it can, right? And so please, church, man, rise up. Uh, another thing, another absolute bold-faced lie that our culture tells you is, hey guys, be the light. <laughs> hey guys, be the light of the world. You want to know why that's absolute blasphemy? You, can you show me in Scripture anytime Jesus told us to be the light? It's not there. What does He say? He says, you are the light. And, and, and then it says, hey, be the salt. Jesus never told the church to be the salt. He says, you what? Are the salt. Because if you're trying to be the light, then you're going to try to turn yourself into some impressive, tweetable, attractive-looking Christian. Rather than realizing, hey, this, this absolute mess that stands in front of you, this is what God wants to work through right now. That's what it means to be the light. That's what it means that you are the light, is that even though you feel like you're an absolute mess, hey, God's plan is pretty unimpressive, right? And this is what Scripture says too. It says, not many of you are impressive when God called you. And that's God's plan. So please, man, please stay awake. Please don't fall asleep. Please don't believe the, this slow this slow idea of church can be online or church is observed or this, this false lie of, ah, they don't need me or the false lie of like, I'll just blend in and no one sees me. Man, what you do matters. What you say matters. What you don't say matters as well, right? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Reach out to others. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That's who you are. And this is God's plan. If I was in charge, which I'm not, I'd come up with a different plan. <laughs> you know, I really would. But he says, nope, this is the plan. He works through his people. And in Nehemiah 11, 12, it's just, it's just a list of names. It's just a list of names. And at the end of days, there's going to be a book, and it's called the book of life. And do you know what's written in that book? Just names. That's it. Nothing but names. And that's the book of life. He says, hey, let me see your name. Okay, there, you're in. All right. Um, so that's all I wanted to say about that. I'm going to forest gump this sermon. I'm done. So uh, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for today and thank you for your church. And, and God, we are, uh, Lord, we're, we're just going to admit it. We're not that impressive. We're really not. God, and I'm going to admit it. I have so many faults. Jesus, I have a sin problem. We all do. And God, I pray that we would stop waiting or, or sitting on the sidelines or, or I don't even know what to say. I pray that we'd get in the game um, and that we'd realize what we do matters. 
because this is your plan, is that your plan was through your church you're going to reach the world. Uh, Not through impressive leaders, but through your church. And if we understood how much people are hurting and how much people are lonely and isolated, I I think we'd reach out more. And so, God, I pray we'd never forget that. Help us just to to realize people do not need to see superheroes. But they need real people in front of them. That's what they need. And so, uh, God, we pray uh, these in your name. And we ask these these things in your name. And just help us to know who we are. um, And then help us just to be those, to act like it. To act like who we are. And so that's our prayer. Amen.